This is Next Door Strangers, a podcast about finding connection in a time of division. I'm Andrea Smartin, and today we're going to talk about facing our differences. But in order to do that, we're going to have to talk about the elephant in the room. This is the episode where we talk about the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, because we're in Salt Lake City, Utah, basically the Vatican of the Mormon world. A few weeks ago, we asked you to name your top five tribes, and for some of you, there was a recurring theme. Second tribe, my faith community, Mormon church, my local congregation. Coming out of Mormonism in my mid-30s was really challenging. I really lost my tribe when that happened. Tribe one, ex-Mormon. This is the most recent tribe I've joined. I had my faith crisis a little over a year ago. Finding a supportive group of all women made that transition a lot easier. And tribe two, Mormon. As much as I disagree with the religion's truth claims, it is and will always be part of who I am and how I see the world. Talk about a strong tribe. For people here, identity is often driven by the church. When you're in, it's all-encompassing. It's your family, your community, your culture, your everything. For many Mormons, it's the only tribe they need. Unless, of course, you leave. If you leave, it's a really big deal. Feminism has always existed in Mormonism from the beginning. This feminism paralleled American feminism very closely. Today, we're going to talk to just one person. Her name is Maxine Hanks. She's someone who didn't just leave the church. She was excommunicated. There's a lot to unpack in her story. Even if, like me, you're not Mormon, there's a lot to learn about how groups fear differences and handle disagreements. The struggle of Mormon feminism has been a struggle for women's identity, a struggle to be a self-defining person. Okay, I wanted to talk about... um, This is Maxine in an interview she gave on the public radio station KUER back in 1993. Maxine is talking about a book of essays she edited called Women and Authority, Reemerging Mormon Feminism. The book explores topics like women's relationship to priesthood, the power of authorship, and the concept of a mother god. You note in the book that feminism within the bounds of theology is reaching a critical mass and uh, will make, as you say, significant changes within traditionally male-dominated religions. Explain that to me. Well, I think that Mormon feminists are similar to Catholic feminists and Jewish feminists in that they seek to be able to have an authoritative religious expression. And to some extent, none of these feminists are waiting for male approval because they've sought approval from the men who lead um, their various religions and have failed to find it. Back in 1993, Maxine was one of several scholars that were speaking out about the role of women in the church, which shouldn't have been so controversial. Maxine points out that the issues they were talking about had all been raised before in Mormon history. But the response from church officials was strong. One of the highest LDS authorities, Apostle Boyd K. Packer, said in a speech that feminists posed the greatest threat to the church, along with gays and intellectuals. Here's another top official, Dallin Oaks, speaking to NPR in September of 1993. I have a responsibility to look after the purity of the doctrine, 
to make sure that wolves do not enter the flock, to use the scriptural uh, metaphor, and that there is nothing pragmatic about this at all. Pragmatism dictates peace, serenity, you're okay, I'm okay, and don't make waves. That's not the current situation. Ultimately, the church took action against half a dozen scholars and writers in September 1993, a group that became known as the September Six. Five were excommunicated. Maxine was one of them. Talking to Maxine today, 25 years later, her hair has some gray, and the lines around her eyes have deepened. But when it comes to feminism, she hasn't really changed. Well, I certainly didn't think that I deserved to be excommunicated for uh, editing and writing about a feminist interpretation of Mormon theology and history. And today that's a perfectly safe and in fact a very uh, growing field of work in, in Mormon studies. But you know, I have to say it was an uncanny experience that I felt it was meant to be. When I was excommunicated, it it not only proved my thesis, which is that there's great authority and power in our voices and in finding our narrative and sharing it, but it also made our narrative, our feminist narratives, bigger, and it gave them more power because it brought more attention and notoriety to them. And so the book sort of fulfilled its its own <laughs> prescription or prophecy that, that voice and narrative is powerful. The story could have ended there, Maxine could have been one more Mormon who left the fold, who went off to figure out how to fill that hole in her life. For years, Maxine did that. She tried on other religions, she became a chaplain, and she worked in interfaith coalitions. But almost two decades later, she came back to the very church that had rejected her. I felt the need to come back and belong and be accepted and be appreciated for who I really am without changing who I was. I needed that for completion and wholeness as a feminist scholar and theologian and Mormon, member of this amazing tradition that all of my ancestors were part of. And my fifth cousin, Joseph Smith, the founder, gave his life to. You know, I needed, I needed to find the Mormon me and integrate it with the, the feminist me and the non-Mormon parts of myself, which are still very real and part of me, I had often been um, very independent-minded and, and oftentimes kind of feeling hopelessly unique in a kind of a subculture of my own, you know, <laughs> alone. And I really needed to, to learn how to find belonging, that beautiful sense of being part of something. This is why I was interested in talking to Maxine Hanks. How does a group handle differences in viewpoints, especially views that might be considered threatening? Here's someone who loves the church, but has deep disagreements with certain aspects, including the church's policies on excommunication. I think excommunication should be a, a very rare event reserved for criminals and abusers. She still holds all the same feminist beliefs that got her excommunicated in the first place, but she came back in spite of those differences. I think that's a big part of why I came back, was to heal that injustice and, and sense of misjudgment and misunderstanding and, and really mis, misjudging each other on both sides. It wasn't just that the church should amend its view of me. I needed to amend my view of the leaders. 
the healing needed to happen on both sides. We both had to realize that there was a, a wonderful human being on the other side and that we had misjudged each other. Did you have a sense of conditions that you needed met in order to come back as far as that your voice could be heard, you could be who you are within the church? Going into it, I had a lot of doubt that that this would work or could this work because I had fears. You know, I had been excommunicated and I had been vilified and I was overwhelmed, I have to tell you, by the love. It makes me emotional thinking about it. Um, the, the love and the compassion and the support um, that I got, I was just so moved and surprised by how much the local ward and bishop and Relief Society president and stake president and his wife and even higher leaders, how much they all worked on my behalf, that they would care that much about me and and go out of their way to really embrace me and let me know in no uncertain terms that I was highly valued and wanted. That was the beauty and the miracle of it, to discover that it was a colossal misunderstanding and it could actually be healed and reversed. So when you rejoined the church in 2012, there was a story about it in the Salt Lake Tribune, and it was one of those stories that lit a fire for people. I think there were more than 1,500 comments, you know, people saying things, sarcastic things, like can't be having women pretending to be intellectuals or feminists. Someone said the title should be Childhood Brainwashing Too Hard to Overcome. Uh <laughs> So people, they couldn't understand how you could be a feminist and a thinking person, but also a member of the church, basically, is the gist of a lot of the comments. How do you respond to comments like that? I mean, what, why do you think people find your story so hard to take, so upsetting? And, and what mm. does that reveal? Mm. It's a really important question. I remember that. Um, and I read all the comments, and I actually really enjoyed reading them, and I I laughed out loud at a lot of them. It just seems to be human nature to want to see things in very polarized extreme terms. People tend to see the church is all bad, and if you leave, then that's all good. And I recognize that they aren't able to deal with the, the paradox. They're not able to deal with the coexistence of the bad and the good in the same place. And all I can do is basically explain that I'm dealing with both. I'm dealing with the problems, and I'm also dealing with the positives, and that I can't ignore either one. But how can you be both, a believer and a dissenter, a feminist and a member of a church so invested in male authority? Now that she's back, Maxine has had to learn how to be a living contradiction— to negotiate disagreements, to occupy that place of being a part of a group, but also critical of the group. Maxine says, for this to work, you have to face your differences. Frankly, I encounter the same dilemma in all relationships and all groups, whether I'm dealing with my neighborhood or my family or, you know, a political party or <laughs> fellow academics. You know, difference, disagreement is the reality of any relationship. So... It's how we deal with the difference. 
and the disagreement that, that matters, including utterly opposing and incongruous perspectives. Most people and most groups fear someone who disagrees with them, and they all tend to silence or exclude or uh, invalidate or, or try to rewrite that other point of view. So it's a universal problem in every group. But avoiding it only distorts the reality rather than dealing with it. And we fear the reality, and so we create a false reality. And the false reality is worse. So conflict is good. I embrace conflict. I embrace disagreement and really work with it as, as empowering and as a vehicle of transformation and breakthrough. But in order to get to a breakthrough in a conflict, Maxine says we have to do some self-assessment, something she calls shadow work. It's taking a hard look at our own fears and defense mechanisms and acknowledging how we project them on others. You know, for myself personally, this was really important, both when I was excommunicated and, and since, that I needed to do my own shadow work. Because what I realized was that I had dismissed male leaders like I felt they had dismissed women. So I was projecting the very thing that, that I was experiencing back onto them. I dismissed them. I didn't take them seriously. I didn't value or regard their point of view. I wasn't seeing them as human beings. And that really needed a shift. Maxine says one of the most rewarding things that has happened after her return has been unexpected collaborative relationships with male leaders. I had one bishop tell me, you know, you and I see pretty much everything differently, but I really like you. And I just, it's really worthwhile working with you. I really love working with you, and I learn from you. I've actually had a couple of bishops tell me that. So working with those places, those, those fault lines between the tectonic plates, those are the places that are most powerful and, and most transformative, where we learn the most about each other and about ourselves. That's where the power and the beauty is. I, it really is a deeper, deeper discipline and, and a more fulfilling ministry to work there in those points of conflict or difference. When there is a disagreement, Maxine says we're often limited by our own perspectives. Both sides are not seeing the whole picture. She experienced this firsthand in working with the Relief Society, a women's organization within the church. I remember one time... Um, some new leaders came in and wanted to redecorate the Relief Society room, and so they took down my beloved picture of all the past presidents of the Relief Society and and a couple of other sort of woman-centered pictures, and they put up pictures of the first presidency of men and and pictures of Christ, and they were beautifully framed. They were just exquisite. And I came in, and I was horrified. But I went, and I talked to the Relief Society presidency about it, and I said, is there any way we could just negotiate to put our woman-centered pictures back but keep these other beautiful pictures that they've added? <laughs> and so I facilitated a little negotiation there, and I was really glad I did because I found out that nobody realized that they had been stepping on anyone's sensitivities at all. So it was really valuable that we had that conversation, and it was all solved beautifully. The picture of the Relief Society presidents was returned to the front of the room. Maxine says her voice is being heard now within the church. It's what she wanted when she edited that feminist anthology so long ago. It's just taken a while to get there. 
Two decades later, she was asked by the Relief Society president to present a lesson on women and their relationship to priesthood to a mixed audience of both men and women. And I was amazed by that because she was asking me to present the very material that I had been excommunicated for in 1993. And um, 20 years later, I was invited to present that very same material in the church. We had the meeting in the chapel. It was an extraordinary moment. From heretic to member, dissident to collaborator, Maxine has learned to see not only the shadows, but the light. It's vital to see the errors, the problems, and the negative, because that identifies real problems that need to be solved. You can't stay silent and not address harms and, and errors. You have to speak up and address those. It's, it's absolutely vital, and, and, that, and I do that. But at the same time, it's not enough just to confront the problems and the errors because you don't really solve a problem at its own level. You have to take it to a new level um, of solution, positive solution. So you also have to identify the truths and the positive aspects in the situation because that's where you solve the problem, in the positive solutions. True progress is not simply moving forward or, or ending a conflict. It's really discovering a new dimension that you weren't seeing before. Even a Utah transplant like me can take something from Maxine's story. If we want to make change, if we want to correct injustices, we have to do the work in our relationships with people. And I think it's safe to say that this is work that people of all persuasions could improve on. Religious and non-religious, liberal and conservative, politically correct and incorrect. I'm afraid our most cutting tweets and righteous mic drops will not get us there. If we want to see new dimensions we haven't seen before, we have to get past the fear, past the threat of difference, to figure out how to see both the shadows and the light in one another. Now for today's challenge. Think of a disagreement in your life. Today, name one thing that you value in the relationship that makes it worth working out this disagreement together. Record a voice memo on your phone or send us an email to strangers at KUER.org. Your messages may be used in future episodes. Coming up next time, we're going to learn from a pair of political opposites how to have better disagreements. Next Door Strangers is a production of KUER in Salt Lake City. Our team includes Tim Slover, Joel Meyer, Gail Ewer, Renee Bright, and Chelsea Naughton. Elaine Clark of Radio West helped us with research, and our KUER colleague Michael Toomey voiced a listener email at the beginning of the show. Audio courtesy of NPR's All Things Considered. Find out more about our show and learn how to connect with others at KUER.org. I'm Andrea Smartin. 